they're making fun of my glitter folder up here. So I walked in tonight and Sherry said, you wear glitter shoes and now you got a glitter notebook. And Randy just said my notebook just about blinded him up here. So it's good to be in the house of the Lord. And I'm just going to get right into it. Um, if I had to put a, me- uh, a name to this message, it would be press on. Uh, do you ever feel like you quit something too soon? Have any of you felt that way, You that you quit before you should have? That you've given up praying right before your breakthrough? It's easy to grow tired from the battle and to miss out on your answer because you threw up your hands from the intensity of battle before the victory came. So what do you do when God says what God says doesn't match what you see. When all you see is a big wall standing in front or between you and your promise and your present situation. God's infinite ways often don't make sense in our finite minds. And I I find that nothing makes sense anymore. I mean, look around us and look what's happening. I, I don't recognize the the world and the nation that we live in anymore. So tonight I want to take a few minutes to you, and I'm going to speak about a very familiar passage in Joshua, and it's going to be in Joshua chapter 6 about the walls of Jericho. The people of Israel had just crossed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, and this was the land of milk and honey that God had promised to Abraham over 500 years earlier. So they had spent 40 difficult years wandering in the wilderness of Sinai when it only should have taken 11 days. And now the people of Israel were on the eastern banks of Jordan. And their challenge, they thought, was to take the land of Canaan, the promised land, However, their first obstacle was the city of Jericho, an unconquerable walled city. And I've got, if they go ahead and put on the board, I looked up the, the walls of Jericho and was quite amazed because it was nothing like I had in my mind. Whenever you guys can put that up would be great. It says that excavations reveal that its structure featured a retaining wall that was 12 to 15 feet high. So this was at the bottom. On top of that retaining wall was a mud brick wall that was six feet thick. And this is the red arrow, which is the retaining wall. So the total height of the retaining wall that was in front and that wall that was on top of it was 23 feet high from ground level. So at the crest of the embankment or the top of the embankment was another mud brick wall, which is a green arrow pointing to it. From ground level to the top of this wall was 30 feet in height. And this wall was made to be indestructible. So in the middle of the two walls, the brown area that you see was an earthen embankment. It was an incline. So the strategy to conquer this city of Jericho was unique in two ways. First, 
And Joshua chapter 6, the strategy was laid out by God himself, number one. And number two, the strategy, strategy seemed to be foolish and a strange plan. And we're going to find out why it was a strange plan. Verse 1 says in Joshua chapter 6, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in Jericho. So Jericho, this city that had this huge wall that was indestructible, they were shut up in the city because they feared Israel and their army. They had all the protection, the Israelites didn't. But they, were, they didn't come in or they didn't go out. In verse 2, God said, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and fighting men. I want you to notice that God did not say, I will deliver Jericho into your hands. But he said, I have already delivered Jericho into your hands. So in God's perspective, the battle was already over. But the Israelites had to obey and they had to put their foot down to receive it. Verses three through five says, march around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets and ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. So when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So this method of warfare made no sense, and it would require total dependence on God. And sometimes in our own situations, we have to entirely trust God. We have to have an unmovable faith in God. It required great faith from Joshua because he had to explain and he had to lead the nation in this plan. So today, what's going on around us makes no sense, does it to you? But we need to depend and have faith in God. There is no doubt that God could have won this battle on his own without Israel's help. But he wanted them to be a part of the work. And he wants us to be a part of his work today. In verses 6 through 7, it says, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. So what Joshua had to do was ask the priest to do. It was very unusual because normally the priests and the Arks of the Covenant did not go into battle. But the Ark would be prominent in their victory over Jericho and even as it was previously crossing the Jordan River. So Israel had to keep their hearts and their minds on the Lord who was present with them instead of putting their hearts and minds on the difficulty of the task in front of them. They knew that there would be no customary way 
to conquer this wall, a fortified city. In verses 8 through 10, when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. Now all this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, and this here's a strange part, do not give a war cry, don't raise your voices, and do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So why do you think they had to be silent? I don't know, but maybe it was because of the years that they spent before wandering around the wilderness 40 years, grumbling and complaining. God provided, they complained, they, it was never enough for them. So in verses 11 through 14, so the ark of the, the, ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took the, up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing their trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day they marched around the city once, they returned to camp. And they did this for six days in silence. It took courage for Israel to march around the walls of Jericho because it left them wide open to attack from, the, from Jericho. It would have been easy for the people of Jericho to attack them from the high positions of this wall because you wasn't going to get past this wall. It was a non-destructible wall. It also took endurance for Israel to do this. And one lap around the walls of Jericho was 1.24 miles. They had to persist in a battle plan that did not make sense with six days of silent marching. And they had to <clears throat> a good look at those walls during marching around that sixth time that seemed indestructible. And they knew that this battle was bigger than they were. So in verses 15 and 16, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. And on the seventh time around, the priests sounded the trumpet blast, and Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Then I'm going to skip to verse 20, the final verse. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. No other city had conquered this way. All of Israel had was the promise of God, and they believed on that promise, and they acted according to that belief in obedient, persistent faith. There'll be times when you're doing everything that you know to do and you still do not see movement in your wall. 
The Israel walk, Israelites walked around Jericho for six days as far as they could see. Nothing had happened. Not one brick had fallen. And just because you don't see God working does not mean he isn't. And Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father is always working. Your father is always working despite what you see and how you feel. He never, never stops working. Hebrews 10, 35 through 36 says, so don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Today, you may be on lap seven around your Jericho, and you may not even know it. Suppose the Israelites had stopped on day six, maybe saying, this is ridiculous. This plan is ridiculous. I'm not walking around this wall another time. We're making fools of ourselves. We are going to get killed. What if they would have stopped? Maybe you are saying to yourself, how much longer will I have to wait for God to move in my situation? How much longer will I have to struggle with no hope in sight? How much more suffering do I have to go through in my body before I am healed? How many more laps until my prayers are answered and the walls come down? In the times we're living in today, it's going to take all we have within us to press forward. Our enemy is running rampant right now, and he thinks he has won, but he has not. This strength and perseverance, we can only get it from one place, and that is through Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. Our government is not our hope. Your friends are not your hope. Your family is not your hope. Jesus Christ is your only hope. So I want to tell you to press on tonight. This is not the time to take a break or to wallow in sorrow. We must strengthen ourselves in Jesus. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in to distractions. Believe me, we have too many things to distract us, trying to seize the truth through the lies of our media. Number one, our nation leaders. Number two, trying to figure out who in the, the prophetic voices, wondering who's right, who's wrong, wondering why we have not seen our prayers answered. This could be your final lap. Do not get distracted by the voices that you are hearing, the, the distraction that the enemy is placing before you. Galatians 6 and 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So how do we press on? Number one, we have got to get God's perspective on things. Today, there are a lot of voices and a lot of opinions being spoken. We need to guard our minds, we need to guard our attitudes, and we need to guard our choices that we make. And I, this uh, verse that I'm going to read to you, I have read so many times, but I can't tell you 
how much the scripture relates to us today. Second Timothy three, four through three says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and they will turn aside to myths. How true that is today. A lot of things may sound good, but I want to tell you they may not be God's perspective. We need to pray and make sure that God's perspective we are hearing and it's God's perspective that we are acting on. Number two, we need to be, we have to be, a person of persistent prayer. This is why our focus is on prayer on Wednesday night. Prayer connects us to God, and it is our greatest weapon. It invites God into our circumstances. Patricia Shear says that to the extent the church prays will be the extent of power we will have to stand against the enemy in the last days. So true. There is power in prayer. We say it over and over and over again. But I'm here to declare and decree to you tonight that there is power in prayer. God has not left us. God has not forsaken us. But he wants us to put our blinders on and look toward him and have a persistent faith in him. Number three, you need to settle your identity. If we're going to be able to stand and have faith in God, we have to know who we are and whose we are. Romans 8, 14 through 18 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit received brought about your adoption and sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are what? We are heirs. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Too many people within our churches are struggling with their identity. Do I have a purpose? Do I do this right? Am I equipped enough? Am I worthy? Am I usable? Am I good enough? I'm preaching to the choir here. Can I stop here and ask you, who is your daddy? Who is your father? It is Father God, and he is the one who gave his only son for you to have the hope of eternal life. Warning, don't let your identity be blurred by comparing yourself to other people. I can't speak like this one. I can't sing like this one. I'm not as good as this one. I can't do it like they can. Stop focusing on who I am not and be confident that you are called, you are anointed, and have a specific purpose in the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe you are called? 
Do you believe you are anointed? Do you believe that he has a purpose and a plan for you while you are here on this earth? The enemy is trying to keep us confused about who we are and distracting us from where God wants to take us. Walk in the confidence with the gifting and calling he has called you. And finally, we have to be prepared for battle. We have to be prepared to fight. We have to put on the, those pieces of armor, the full armor of God. And then we, when we fight, we need to watch and see what God will do. Not what he can do, not what he should do, what God, he's going to do, but what he will do. This year at Ladies Retreat, the speaker gave a visual illustration that really blessed me. And I, I think about it every day when I'm struggling, when I feel defeated, when I want to give up. When I want to quit. Her husband was an avid football player in high school, and there was a signal that used to the coach, and some of you that went to ladies' retreat will remember this, that when he needed to be taken out of the game or they needed a break, they would do this. They would tap on their helmet. I need a break. I need out. So during one particular game, her husband needed a break, and he tapped his helmet. But here's what the coach did. As he was tapping his helmet, his coach was going, stay in there. Stay in there. It's not time to come out yet. This went on for several plays that happened. And once again, he tapped his helmet. And finally, in frustration, her husband got so frustrated that he went like this with both hands. Get me out of here. I'm tired. I need to take a break. But the coach, here's what he did. Stay in there. There are many times that we want to quit, we want to sit down, we want to take a break, and here's what we are doing. We're tapping our heads, we're saying, God, get me out of here. I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. I'm tired. There's no hope. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and nothing is happening. God, let me sit down. Let me quit. But can I tell you, That this is what God is doing with both arms. And I can just use one right now. He's saying, stay in there. I've got this. It's not time to sit on the sidelines. I will strengthen you. Don't give up. The battle belongs to me. Victory is mine. Victory is coming. This is your final lap. Press on. Press on. Press on. Just as it was with the walls of Jericho, I'm sure there were days where the Israelites' faith was tried, not seeing any bricks falling from the wall at first. But they pressed on, and victory was theirs. 
tonight, I wanted to, I didn't want to get through this quickly, but I want most of our time to be uh, in prayer time tonight. And we're going to do something out of the ordinary, and I hope that's okay with you. But I felt like this is something that we needed to do. Tonight, we're going to pray, and we're going to walk around the edges of this facility seven times. This is going to be, this is representing what the children of Israel did at Jericho. And we're going to pray for specific things. If you're not able to walk, I don't want you walking, but I want you to participate. I want you to sit in your seats and pray along with us over these specific things. Because I believe that God has placed on my heart for us to pray in unity tonight, in binding together in unity over the same thing and declaring and decreeing victory in the name of Jesus. So here's the lineup. Uh, I don't see pastor. So Randy, I need you to stand right in front. Behind Randy and just turn and face that wall, Randy. We'll line start with you. After Randy, I want any ministers and church leaders to come stand behind Randy. You thought you was going to get to sit through it tonight, didn't you? <laughs> ministers and church leaders. And with the, the church, the ministers, if you have a wife that's here... You can come up with them. Behind the ministers, I want any person that considers yourself an intercessor in prayer behind the leaders. If you're an intercessor in prayer behind the leaders, Mike Burton, you need to be right up here behind Randy. If you'll move together a little bit, 